0: Welcome to worship from Jessup First United Methodist Church. I'm Garth Duke Barton, and I'll be reading the Old Testament and Epistle lessons for the day. Then Rebecca will bring us the sermon. The Old Testament lesson comes to us from Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning with verse 5 and continuing on to verse 6. Behold, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And now for the epistle lesson coming to us from Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus
1: Christ has made me his own. What a good word from Philippians. Thank you, Garth. It's exactly the point of the book that we've been reading, both at Jessup First and at Epworth United Methodist Churches here in Jessup. It's called A Jesus-Shaped Life. It's put out by Seedbed. And I knew from the title that I was going to love it. I want my life to be shaped like Jesus, to be formed in his likeness. And it's with that joy that we read today's gospel from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, we read Luke 15 in the parable that's often known as the prodigal son. And we learn that the word prodigal means lavish, extravagant to the point of being wasteful. So in that sense, we've got another prodigal today in the gospel. This time it's Mary of Bethany. Mary is the sister of Lazarus. And in the chapter right before this one, Lazarus died. Jesus was his friend. And Jesus came and wept with Mary. Mary always strikes me as the kind of person who's very demonstrative. Then in an incredible miracle, Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave and back to life. Now, you need to know that because it helps us understand Mary's extravagant, prodigal use of oil. In the story we read, Jesus is gathered around a table with his friends. Lazarus is at the table, very much alive. Martha is serving the food, and Mary comes in. You can almost imagine her bursting into the room, eyes focused only on Jesus. Jesus with that bottle in her hand. And then she shocked everyone as she poured it out on the feet of Jesus and began to wipe his feet with her hair. It's an act of love and devotion, and it comes from the heart of a woman who knows that Jesus has made her his own. Can you imagine giving yourself so fully over in love and gratitude to Jesus that you don't care what it costs, that you don't care what it looks like, You just want to give your life fully to Jesus. That's this story, and I hope it's yours. Judas is also at the table, and Judas is shocked. Shocked, I tell you. It's not shock at the act of complete love and devotion, or even very unusual behavior because you wouldn't normally wipe somebody's feet with your hair. No, he's shocked at the amount of money that Mary of Bethany just wasted on Jesus. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, he asks. But John lets us in on a secret, that this is the kind of pretend shock and outrage that comes not when someone really cares about the justice of Jesus, but someone is covering their own tracks with shock and outrage. Judas kept the purse and would steal money. It's quite a contrast to Mary, isn't it? Judas didn't really care about people who were poor, but Jesus did and still does. Judas had listened to enough of Jesus's teaching to know Jesus's priorities. Judas may have read the book of Amos, condemning people for bringing sacrifices to the temple when they trampled on the heads of the poor. So Judas knew that this was a prodigal amount of oil and he thought he would condemn Mary for the waste. This is where you've really got to know Jesus and know his heart and be formed in his likeness to understand what he's asking for and what his priorities are. What Jesus saw in Mary was an act of overflowing love, preparing for his burial. He knew his time was short, but he said, You will always have the poor with you. Now, some people snatch that verse right out of context and say, well, there's nothing you can really do to help people. Jesus said there would always be poor people. That ignores the vast wave of Jesus's teaching that began with his mother's own prophecy before he was born that the hungry would be filled with good things and the rich sent away empty. It ignores Jesus's mission statement in Luke 4, when Jesus said he was coming to bring good news to the poor and set at liberty those who are oppressed. And it ignores everything that Jesus taught about justice. So often when we talk about justice, we use it in a limited sense of the justice system. If someone who had committed a crime is found guilty, we say, ah, oh, well, justice is served. But in the Bible, it's clear that justice is more about more about the whole way of living and not just crimes that have happened. It's God's way of working in the world to make things right, to bring about the kingdom that God has in mind. Justice is part of the covenant of God. Every time the Bible talks about the promised land, it's with the idea that there will be enough, enough land, enough food, enough for everyone to sit under their own fig tree. Some of the most quoted verses from the prophets are about justice. "Let justice roll down like waters," says Amos, or Micah six eight. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The Old Testament lesson we read from Jeremiah today is about a king in the line of David, De- in the line of David, coming to execute justice. The book of Isaiah begins with the thought that religious festivals mean nothing if the way one is living is not full of justice. So Isaiah says, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Throughout the Old Testament, especially, we see how justice and righteousness are paired together. Psalm 33, 5 says, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. We read it from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. You see, that's the justice of Jesus, that he's a king and he's coming to reign and he's going to do it in a way that's fair and righteous and bringing about the kingdom of God. Or I think about the call of Amos for justice to roll down like waters. The next piece of the verse is, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He calls for this outpouring of justice and righteousness because, he says, people have trampled the heads of the poor, taking advantage of people who have to borrow money. A father and son sharing the same woman. He says, you take a coat and pledge from someone who needs to borrow money. And then you lay on that coat and drink expensive wine that was bought with fines. This is a striking image of someone who is wealthy taking advantage of someone who is poor and living in luxury while the poor person does without a coat. And the scripture is full of this. When the church is following the way of Jesus, this is who we are. We live in justice and righteousness. We hear what God wants. We listen to the teachings of Jesus and we go after it with the enthusiasm of Mary pouring out oil and wiping Jesus's feet with her hair. When we are formed in the likeness of Christ, you see the justice and righteousness forming us and how we live. We've opened orphanages and nursing homes. We've advocated for governments to guard rights. We've saved babies from the ash heaps in the days of the Romans and in our day. Christians were on the forefront of abolishing slavery. It was costly for the Christian abolitionists of the 19th century because people saw them as stirring up trouble. They saw that they caused economic disruption because if slaves ran away, as they often did, because people do not want to be enslaved. Abolitionists helped them escape rather than returning them. But the Christian abolitionists kept on in spite of it, even though it was costly for them personally, because they lived their lives in a way that expressed gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. You see, it's just like Mary pouring out her costly perfume. You may know the story of John Newton, a slave trader someone who sold other human beings and treated them as less than human until John Newton met Jesus and it changed his life. It brought him around to the foot of the cross and he became formed in the likeness of Christ. And he wrote these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It changed his heart. He became the righteousness of Christ. But you know what else? Not only did Newton have a change of heart, he had a change of action. John Newton stopped selling people after he met Jesus. He gave up his business, even though it was very profitable because he knew it was wrong. He became an advocate for ending the slave trade. You see, a Jesus-shaped life isn't just a change of heart. It's a change of heart and life. It's righteousness and justice together. It means we make real changes in our own actions and in society. And that shows our love and devotion to Jesus. It's the fifth week of a Jesus-shaped life. And if you're reading along, this week we have covered a lot. We've received a call to racial reconciliation. We're hearing about homeless people and how we can help. We're talking about putting an end to human trafficking and a real look at the role of wealth and poverty in our country. I told you that this book would challenge us and this chapter in particular does. Sometimes we really like the idea of holy hearts. We like the idea of righteousness on the inside. But when it comes to truly changing our ways, well, we don't want to be too inconvenienced. And we don't want to advocate in society to change because, well, that's just the way things are. And it's almost like we think God can change a heart, but he can't change a society. But the truth of the matter is living a Jesus-shaped life requires all of who I am. It's why Mary of Bethany can point us to the justice of Jesus. She wasn't just pouring out perfume. She made a sacrifice. Her overflowing heart led to action to serve Jesus. I like how Steve Cordell puts it in a Jesus-shaped life. Serving is love made visible. That was Mary. And it's true for us too. Serving is love made visible. It's how that we can live in the justice of Jesus and reach out into the world. If we love like Jesus, we will serve like Jesus. If we love like Jesus, we will serve like Jesus. Even when it's costly for us. Now, it's sometimes easier to point to the injustice from long ago, because I know you're all going to agree that slavery is evil. And honestly, we're still feeling the ripple effects of that evil of condoning slavery in our country. 400 years of slavery is still rippling into where we live today. Quartal writes, anyone can complain about the state of the world today. It's easy to point to problems. However, Jesus doesn't command us to criticize the world. He calls us to change it. So this is where it's your turn to think and pray about the Spirit's leading. Look around where you are, your community, your country, the world. What part of it doesn't look like the kingdom that God has in mind? Are there problems with the government or the criminal justice system where you are? Maybe you're called to help be part of that change. Where are poor people being trampled on? Where are people still judged by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character? Maybe that's where God is calling you to live out the justice of Jesus. We abolished slavery officially in the United States, but human trafficking still happens. Where do you see the call to the justice of Jesus? The justice of Jesus is love in action, love made visible. It's making this world look like the kingdom God envisions. So Jesus is that branch from the line of David. He's the king who executes justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus Christ has made us his own and he wants us to be part of it. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, you created us. You love us and you've made us your own in Christ. We also know that you love the world and you have in mind your kingdom coming. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, how can we be a part of that? We know that you love the people who can't afford their rent. The husband struggling with illness that keeps him out of work. And the single moms struggling to put food on the table. You love people with every color of skin. We're all your children. You love people that this world has treated like nobodies. Let your justice and righteousness flow through me, Lord, and through those who are called by your name. Give us hearts to serve, that we may make your love visible in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.